It's new Comics Day, Wednesday, November 1st, 2017, and you're listening to God and Comics, your bi-monthly dose of spiritual super soldier serum. On today's show, we talk about Marvel's The Defenders, the new Netflix show that teams up some of our favorite street-level super-flawed superheroes. How does this show measure up to the others? How does it compare with the comics? And how much cooler would Star Trek Discovery be if they had let Rosario Dawson out of her contract to be in it? All this, plus our recommendation, this or that, and a whole lot more. I'm Jonathan Michikin, your host. I am assistant chaplain at St. John the 23rd College Preparatory in Katy, Texas. On the line with me today is Father Kyle Tomlin. Father Kyle, where are you? I'm the rector of Church of the Messiah Episcopal Church in Fredericksburg, Virginia. And also on the line today is Father Matt Stromberg. Father Matt, where are you? I'm the rector of St. George's Episcopal Church in Schenectady. Okay, good to see you, gentlemen. (laughs) Schenectady, New York, as opposed to Schenectady, uh, New Mexico. Yeah, Texas. (laughs) There probably is a Schenectady, Texas. Texas. Before we go any further, I want to say something at the beginning of the program that I usually leave to the end of the program, and I leave it to the end, and then uh, everybody ignores it. So I'm going to say it uh, at the beginning this time, and that is this. We are subscribable through iTunes. Many of you are probably listening to this program through iTunes. And if you have a second, uh, and you could just hop on your iTunes and give us a rating or a review, that would be awesome, friends. It really would. Uh, it, It will help us get in front of more eyeballs get more listens, you know, and the world will be a safer place. Uh, it will defeat the uh, uh, Axis powers and strengthen the resolve of goodness and, and justice and love everywhere on the planet. So please, please uh, rate and review us on iTunes. We will love you for it. And now it's time for our recommendation. Father Kyle, what do you got? My recommendation this week is a segment of the new Star Wars comic that Marvel has been publishing since 2015. It's uh, specifically issues 26 through 30, which is a, um, a, five, a six-part tale of called Yoda's Secret War. Um, for those of you who, who haven't been reading Star Wars recently, the new Star Wars series bridges the gap between episode four and New Hope and episode five, The Empire Strikes Back. And so they've been building some of the pieces that we see in The Empire Strikes Back into the comic series. We're working our way in that direction. But this particular segment of issues I'm recommending because it was, one, exquisitely drawn by Salvador LaRocca, who's just a wonderful artist, and it points his artistry makes it look like you're actually looking at the movie. And it's written by Jason Aaron. The narrator of the story is actually Obi-Wan Kenobi through a journal that he left that Luke has picked up following his death in episode four, A New Hope. And the story that Obi-Wan Kenobi ends up telling is a story about a secret war that Yoda engaged in during the time of the Clone Wars. Um, So this uh, storyline wonderfully bridges the 
first three episodes of Star Wars draws some characters in from from that time frame with Anakin Skywalker and a younger Obi-Wan Kenobi and Mace Windu and um, some of these folks that we saw in that that trilogy and um, also ties that in with some of the later episodes like episodes four and five. It's a very cool story that Yoda gets attracted from some disturbance in the force that he recognizes as he's traveling through space and ends up landing on a planet that more or less is a kind of cosmic version of Lord of the Flies. And Yoda sets about figuring out what the real problem is going on on this planet and how this is connected to the force. Just a really good tale. So if you're interested in Star Wars, even if you're not, and you just want to read a very good story, I highly recommend this. It's episode or issues 26 through 30. I know you can buy them individually on the newsstand in the comic shops, um, but I would imagine the trade paperbacks, if it's not out now, it's soon to be out. It's called Yoda's Secret War. And now a word from our sponsor. God and Comics is proud to be sponsored by The Living Church. For over 139 years, the Living Church magazine has been providing news, commentary, and analysis to members of the Episcopal Church. Today, the Living Church continues that mission and also provides theological reflection on books, music, art, and even popular culture through the magazine and through the Covenant blog. And the Living Church isn't just for Episcopalians. The Living Church covers the whole of the Anglican Communion and beyond, building relationships between communion-minded Christians of all stripes and denominations. As the masthead of the magazine says, the Living Church's goal is to be truly Catholic, evangelical, and ecumenical. Be sure to go to thelivingchurch.org to find out more. Well, we're going to turn now to our main conversation today about Marvel's The Defenders. And as we do so, we're going to invite our first guest of the season, Tyler Huckabee, who is going to be joining us today. Tyler is a Nashville-based writer whose work has appeared in the Washington Post, Fathom Magazine, and the Huffington Post. He is also a contributing editor at Relevant Magazine and a regular on the Relevant Podcast. Tyler... Welcome to the show. Welcome to God in Comics. It's really good to be here. I was really excited to uh, to be invited to come and nerd out for a little bit with you guys. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's wonderful. So I'll just tell you, I've been listening to the Relevant Podcast since about 2007. Well, that was way before That's my way, time. Yeah. <laughs> I, I've been listening to the podcast since 2007. Yes, well, I, I'm also incredibly old. I think I should throw that out there as well. <laughs> Um, but what does uh, that make me then? Guys, that makes you very old, sir. Very old indeed. So that's how I knew of you, Tyler. But I didn't know that you were a comic guy until on Facebook one day, uh, Cameron Strang of the Relevant Podcast shares this picture from, I guess, from Lollapalooza this past year. Mm-hmm. And there you yeah. are wearing a Mockingbird t-shirt. And I went, ah, oh, this guy, this guy, amazing, you know. It was, like, a, it was even a deep cut. It wasn't like a Batman logo T-shirt. Well, exactly. Like, if it had been a Batman logo, I, I probably wouldn't have said anything. But the fact that you had the Mockingbird <laughs> T-shirt, I'm like, oh, this this guy's legit. So, also, I'll just say for anybody who who hasn't 
listen to the the relevant podcast. Tyler Huckabee's uh, reports on celebrity news uh, are the greatest <laughs> thing ever, and you should you should go back through their back catalog and find them because uh, you'll learn quite a bit. I do. I, I have a. I have a an embarrassing amount of superhero t-shirts my wife would argue probably too many when you're at Lollapalooza it helps because I'm doing a lot of interviews with bands there for the magazine I interview bands those are later turned into profiles in the magazine and it's very easy when you're running around Lollapalooza looking for band managers just to say I'm in the X-Men t-shirt or I'm the guy <laughs> who's wearing the Wonder Woman t-shirt or something and that worked until that day when I was like, I'm in the Mockingbird t-shirt and realized nobody knows. <laughs> Especially because it, <laughs> it didn't actually say Mockingbird. It just, it was that, that no, sort of no, controversial uh, no. uh, or supposedly controversial t-shirt where, she, where she's wearing the t-shirt that says, ask me about my fem- feminist agenda, which probably got right, you other right, kinds I, of comments. <laughs> it got me a lot like it it got the creator mockingbird she quit twitter over it yeah she got so many negative comments online so i've tried to buy one in solidarity with her struggle i hope she appreciates it really so you know what's funny is that t-shirt has now become a bit of a running joke at marvel um peter parker was wearing that t-shirt in amazing spider-man 789 while he's camped out (laughs) on her couch and, uh, and they specifically point out the fact that he's wearing that shirt. Like, there's a comment was, made about it. In a recent spot? Which one was that? It's the newest yeah. issue of Spider-Man, 789. Yeah, well, I guess I just beat him to the punch. Yeah, yeah clearly. You're ahead, you're ahead of your Parker. time. Parker Luck strikes again. Um, <laughs> whenever we have a, a guest on for the first time, I, I always like to ask, just real briefly, what your history is with comics. Like, how, how did you first get connected to comics and what is it that you enjoy about them uh my dad was a big collector uh yeah he was a big collector in high school so he he had a lot of the like 60s and 70s uh mostly marvel he he was a big uh, marvel fan and so am i and so when i was little we'd go to my grandma's house up in idaho and he just had these boxes and boxes of old comics so i was raised on a lot of the classic like Claremont's X-Men run, as long as Jack Kirby was on Fantastic Four, my dad was collecting it. I really, really loved the early street team, like the kind of low-powered characters like Daredevil, Captain America, Luke Cage. Those ones appealed to me early on. I think because I was like, oh, I could kind of be them someday. Like, it's not totally impossible. I could be like a low-level superhero. And so those ones appealed to me early on. And then, uh, like, Junior High came around, and at the time, obviously... It wasn't cool to like comic books, so I tried to bury it a little bit and uh, and almost forgot about it. Uh, but then then really it took the um, it took the movies kind of coming back coming into vogue to being to me being like I still don't really like these. So I started digging back into all the comics that I missed in the '90s and the early 2000s and uh, re- rediscovered a love there and have become it's become something that I that I, I really enjoy. I collect a lot. I buy a lot of them. And uh, while most of my writing focuses on faith and culture in places like Relevant and Huffington Post, I try to do as much uh, comic book writing on the side as I can. I, I like that you thought that becoming a blind guy who had uh, radioactive goo dropped on you with superpowers was an attainable goal. That's that's good. Well, I was like, I, I was nine. I was like nine years old. So give me some. Like, okay. I was just looking for any. I was Fair. looking for any any like that I could possibly find. Fair enough. Fair enough. 
Uh, well, let, let's talk a little bit about the Defenders, gentlemen. What did you guys think of this? You know, we've done shows on three of the four previous series. We did a show on Daredevil, a show on Jessica Jones, a show on Luke Cage. We didn't do a show on Iron Fist, but I think uh, many of us have seen at least some of Iron Fist. So what did you think? Did you like it? Did you not like it? Father, uh, let's start with Father Kyle, because I think you've probably seen it most recently. Yeah, I did. I, I watched it last week. Um, I, I actually really liked it. I had not completed Daredevil, nor Luke Cage, nor had I seen Iron Fist at this point. Um, I, I've watched half of Daredevil season two, and I watched the first few episodes of Luke Cage. And I had an intention over the course of the summer that I was going to get caught up on everything, but like all good intentions, this one failed. So initially there were some spoilers in watching the Defenders, you know, the way they wrapped up the previous seasons, but it was fine, nothing too earth-shattering. I actually liked them coming together. I don't know if I've ever said this before, but uh, I was very interested in martial arts. I have a third-degree black belt in Okinawan Goju-Ru, so martial arts has always been a big part of my life, and anything that's karate-influenced, um, I just get into a lot and this was very heavily you know with the whole hand and the ninja the ninja clan and all of that very heavily influenced in that direction and I, so i really enjoyed it on that level i thought the chemistry of the characters was really good i appreciated the fact that there were only eight episodes of this and not 13 eight felt much more manageable in some ways and they still managed to tell a really solid story in my estimation over the course of those eight episodes so yeah, I dug it. I thought it was good. Father Matt, what did you think? Honestly, I, I, although I, I did enjoy seeing all, all the characters together, and, and I think there was a lot of points that I really liked about it. Overall, I, I have to say I was a little disappointed by it. It had a lot of weird plot holes, and Sigourney Weaver was is a great actress, but... Some of the villains were kind of weak. The the five fingers of the hand, I, I wasn't really too into that. Um, I thought the climax was sort of ham-fisted. Not, not, not so iron-fisted as ham-fisted. Um, I really enjoyed Daredevil, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage. Iron Fist was another disappointment, but I, I think I always knew that Iron Fist was going to be the weak link in the chain. But um, the Defenders, I thought it, it, it should have been amazing, and it was it was okay. But I really liked about it. Luke Cage and Iron Fist getting face-to-face and their kind of chemistry between Luke Cage and, and Danny Rand I thought was awesome. Um, I love the Luke Cage uh, lecturing Danny Rand about his privilege, <laughs> um, and, and I, I'm kind of exciting to, uh, excited to see those two characters bounce off of each other a bit more. Um, I like the Jessica Jones, of course, is always a great character, and um, I, that still comes through in, in, in the Defenders. The scene where they're all on the subway and she steals a beer from a homeless man. That was very memorable. <laughs> I love that. And, you know, and her, her sarcasm and humor uh, really brought a lot to the show. Daredevil, of course, was, is, is always cool. 
uh, once again, I was a little disappointed. The, the supporting cast of this show, all of them thrown together in, in the witness protection room, that was weak. Part of the strength of these shows has been the great supporting cast, but I don't. I I felt like they they weren't utilized uh, like they could have been in the show, and it, it felt a little ham-fisted. <laughs> uh, I mean, you know. So yeah, I, I mean, overall, I thought it was okay, but um, not up to the standards of uh, of the Daredevil, Luke Cage, and Jessica Jones series at all. Okay, so we've got two kind of contrasting opinions here. Tyler, you're gonna you got to break the tie here. Tiebreaker. Uh, well, I probably won't be able to do that because I I feel like listening to to you two, I fall probably in the middle. I really really liked the first seasons of Daredevil and Jessica Jones. I liked the first half of Daredevil season two where it stuck with the, the conflict with the Punisher and felt like it went a little off the rails when it lost that focus and moved on to the hand business. Luke Cage, I thought, well, I wanted Luke Cage to be better because he's an important character for me, and I thought it was good but not great. And then I think, as we all know, Iron Fist was a was pretty much a flop from the get-go. I thought this was a bit of a return to form in, in certain ways. I really enjoyed... The, the chemistry that the cast had together was really strong, which is not a given when you hire all these actors individually that they're going to click on screen together. And I thought they really did. The, the award for most improved probably goes to Finn Jones's portrayal of Iron Fist, which was not great, but was certainly an improvement in my estimation over his own solo series. I think the show found a sort of a niche for him as sort of a, like a noble idiot that actually really worked, and uh, and I totally agree that his uh, his chemistry with Luke Cage, which of course is very, very important in the comics, was uh, it oh, didn't yeah. it really didn't disappoint. And I, the conversation where Luke Cage calls uh, Iron Fist out on his privilege was great, and is not a given that a show is going to have that kind of conversation, uh, but they did. They went for it, and I thought it was handled really well. Charlie Cox is as Daredevil is my favorite performance on the show, and, and I, I always like watching him act. I think he does a really good job. I would agree that Sigourney Weaver is a really terrific. She's she's very famous. She's iconic, and I just wanted them to do a little more with her. But her plot sort of felt like it was running around in circles. Marvel has struggled with villains always, and the Netflix shows actually have done better. Because both Kingpin and Kilgrave in the Daredevil shows and the uh, and Jessica Jones show were really, really wonderful antagonists. And she did not, I didn't think, live up to the bar that had been set for what a villain could look like in these Netflix series. Mm-hmm. And I totally agree that eight episodes is the way to go. All the shows have been too long before this, and they just get kind of muddy in the middle. Eight episodes felt very streamlined, and it felt a lot better. The climax was good, it was dark, and it was a little hard to tell what was going on sometimes, but I got the general gist that they were fighting, so I can allow it. I would say I was not disappointed because I felt like the trajectory of this, the series as a whole had sort of been trending downwards, so I felt like this was actually better, but did not live up to the best of, these, uh, of this little mini Marvel universe they're building on Netflix so far. 
Well, I, I have to say, guys, I think I'm probably more with Father Matt than uh, than anybody else here. I, I did find it to be pretty disappointing for a lot of the reasons that have already been mentioned. Father Matt talked about the supporting cast. I thought they really underused Rosario Dawson, who um, you know could have been doing so much more than she was doing. Uh, I found all the stuff at the police station to be uh, both unhelpful story-wise and kind of ridiculous. Like, why are they yeah. doing this? Um, and uh, that's fair enough. Um, that's fair enough for, for protection. For right. Advantage. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Like the police are going to protect you against the hand. Um, <laughs> so you know. Now, having said that, I mean, I did watch it all the way through, and and there were there were things that I liked about it, and things that I want to talk about with it but actually you know like some of the character interactions that you know i really did uh i really did enjoy um i i did like sigourney i i I get the the criticism that they didn't quite know what to do with her and i think that's fair but i did actually like watching her on screen um far more than i have to say than electra who i have no problem with the character electra from the comics but i've i've ever since her appearance in daredevil uh, season two i've kind of felt like this version of Electra was just super boring <laughs> she's just like i'm here to stir things up okay well that's that's i suppose a character trait that you can yeah. have <laughs> but i thought Electra was more interesting in daredevil season two than she was in this and partly uh because in, in, in this show she was like zombie a husk of herself right yeah yeah and she was kind of flat um she you know she didn't have the charm that she did in in, uh in daredevil season two and and i'll I'll say this too you know as far as the whole thing with the supporting characters and the witness protection you know at the police officer whatever if that happened on arrow you want to think anything of it well this is this is true this is true but Arrow is a but very different it. kind of show. I mean, you know, the the yeah. Berlanti shows get away with a lot of that stuff precisely because you know what they are. They're they're playing on the camp of of uh, exactly. of comic heroes. Mm-hmm. And the whereas these shows are playing on, you know, we're going to be real gritty, we're going to be street level, we're going to show you superheroes, but they're not going to wear costumes most of the time because they're not going to be that kind of hero. They're going to be much more like you know, like I said, gritty and sort of in your face, and and uh, something that you can kind of even imagine happening. So I, you know, I don't really cut them that much slack for for that. No. But well, the defense is West trying to have it both ways more than the rest of these shows have, mm-hmm. because the villain's plot, best I can figure out, what involved like a, an explo- a citywide explosion that uh, that level, and they have some sort of substance that the substance I think it was even called that gives them eternal life <laughs> the so substance they, so they did like, that sounds more like a plot you would see on Arrow or The Flash than it does mm-hmm. from Daredevil season one or Jessica Jones but it was a transition they tried to make and it was not as successful as it could have been after seeing Daredevil season one I thought like this is like hard hitting stuff yeah. and I'm like I, yeah. it's going to be hard to see this culminate in a big superhero crossover because it was sort of like you know this was like season a season of the wire or something and it was like how is this going to end up 
with like you know a superhero team up with like you know like uh, super villains and, and and wisecracks and stuff yeah. like that. So it was a hard it was a hard journey to make. This was uh, this was one of my other problems with it. I felt like they flitted around way too. Like it would have been helped in the beginning if they had done the first couple episodes just taking a character at a time, and then and then brought them together. Like I actually thought it got stronger, even though it was sort of weird in a way. But it was also kind of endearing. Like when they're all like having dinner at the restaurant and they're like, "We don't want to be together, but we're kind of stuck being." I mean, you know, it's sort of. I mean, it, it's it, there's something a little cheesy about that, but that's where you start to get more chemistry and it starts to make more sense. But in the first couple episodes, it was like they would stay with somebody for ten seconds and then they and then they'd flip to somebody else, and you couldn't really just like get connected with it. That at least that was my feeling. Well, it's interesting. I mean, listening to you guys talk, I think it's about expectations in some ways. Because, see, my expectation of this was different. Recognizing this is what Marvel was building to in some ways, it can't sustain the weight of four characters and be something superlative, at least in my mind. So I looked at it more as this was going to be a kind of crossroads that would, out of which would spring the other shows. So this was just sort of funneling down the four shows for a moment so that they had room to grow out again. And I just looked at it as a transitional piece more than like a big climax. Does that make sense? That's interesting. And that's why I could find it to be enjoyable because I felt like it, it brought the four together. It sort of had a thread that held them together. But we recognize that out of this is obviously going to come Daredevil season three and probably Luke Cage 2 and Jessica Jones 2 and all of that. So it was an interesting way to kind of thread them together for a little bit. Hmm. I didn't mind the first two or three episodes where you were transitioning between different characters because I thought it gave the plot a level of forward momentum that, that helped it. I still thought, especially in those times, it, it really bogged down when it would center on Iron Fist and... I like Colleen Wing. I like her. I think she's one of the stronger elements of the show. Mm-hmm. But it just it she's got a lot of work to do in keeping him like interesting, and it's it's more than one actor can sometimes do. And I I definitely agree that Rosario Dawson, who's usually the highlight of these shows, was underutilized. Although in the final episode, I guess they brought her in a little more in some kind of interesting ways that will hopefully end up being good. I, and I like to see more work from. Misty Knight, who's a great character in the comics, and they they've used really well, I think, in the in both Luke Cage and in the in the Defenders so far. I think if you view it a little more as a transitional element between all these shows, like you're talking about, I, I think that does help it a little bit. But I don't know if it was pitched as that, or if it was yeah. pitched as this big Avengers-like culmination right. that I think they've done so far. Right. right. Well, let's talk about the comics uh, for a second, since you sort of introduced how these characters looked in the comics. And I I would love some input from you guys on this, because I I haven't read a tremendous amount of Defenders. Actually, I've I've probably read like two issues of, of, of something that had the Defenders. But from what I understand, the Defenders is sort of like one of these rolling cast titles, right? It's like, you know, depending on where you jumped into it, you'd have a different set of set of characters. How does what they did with the show compare with um, how comics have portrayed the Defenders? Well, my own knowledge of 
the defenders um, is like yours a little bit limited. But um, as far as I remember, the, at least kind of the classic defenders generally tended to consist of the Hulk, Silver Surfer, Doctor Strange. I don't remember who else beyond that. Uh, Namor. Namor, that's it. But this particular kind of conglomeration of superheroes, I know now is the Defenders, right? So if you're reading Marvel now, that's who they pulled together. But I don't know, have has this combination of superheroes ever been the Defenders in the comics prior to now? I, I, don't, th- I don't think they have, which is, you know, I was a little surprised by, by the idea of making this the Defenders. They were all kind of part of the Marvel Knights, Remember yeah. the Marvel mm-hmm. Knights? And, and they kind of created their own kind of like darker world within the Marvel Universe, of which Daredevil was a part, Luke Cage, Iron Fist, Jessica Jones to some extent. But then there were other characters like Moon Knight and, and the Punisher and, and, and stuff like that. All were kind of part of this kind of gritty New York City, you know, street level kind of superhero world. So that's where I knew them from. They, they would show up in Daredevil a lot. Daredevil was sort of the connecting right. character. From time to time in Spider-Man as well, Luke Cage and Iron Fist would often appear in, in Spider-Man with maybe Cloak and Dagger thrown in there as well. <laughs> Has Marvel ever found a story they couldn't find a way to bring Spider-Man into on some level? Comic books. <laughs> 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 Yeah, I think you're right. I think that it's been it's been a, like a, a very cosmic team of superheroes, and it's been very street level. It's sort of yeah, it's not just a rotating cast, but sort of a rotating aesthetic or uh, or even idea of what the defenders should look like. I think Civil War era, maybe it was all females. It might have been one of their early all. Fi- I think it, you might have had oh. Silver Sable, Black Cat, uh, Spider Woman. Maybe a few others. Maybe um, uh, maybe Colleen Wing was in there too. I don't think, and I could be wrong. I don't think until they did uh, Brian Michael Bendis's recent tie-in with the Netflix or been just these four uh, like they had on the show itself. But I think they had experimented with making it more of a street-level sort of low-budget, low-powered team a few times in the past. Mm-hmm. Th- this particular group reminded me quite a bit of the new Avengers that was around in the yeah. early part of the 2000s that was led by Luke Cage. That's the vibe I kept getting off of it. So yeah. Of like that. yeah. That was the team that, that put Luke Cage and Jessica Jones together. Mm-hmm. I mean, their wedding happened in the new Avengers and, and whatnot. Right. Let, let's talk for a second, um, if if you all don't mind, about the hand. What I thought was really interesting was the idea that the hand exists to kind of grasp after this immortality, and specifically with the character that Sigourney Weaver plays, Alexandra Reed. They really kind of, I mean, all of all of those. Uh, uh, fingers of the hand are sort of in on this idea of we want to we want to keep living but her in particular you know they showed her they would show her like listening to music uh or taking in art or something like that and her kind of contemplating this and talking about this and we find out early in the series that she's got some kind of cancer or something like this and so there's this you know uh concern about life 
but she talks about what they're doing as the preservation of life. I think the best villains tend to be the ones where you can you can see how they would see themselves as the good guy. Because uh, if, if they're just horrible people, that's not that interesting. And if they're horrible people that are doing extraordinarily complicated things for no particular reason, that's really not interesting, uh, which is the way I think most bad villains are drawn. It's like, I'm a terrible person and I don't know why, and here's my plot to take over the world that involves 14 countries. And, you know, you go, why, why don't you just rob a bank like a normal person? The brotherhood of evil. Right. right. <laughs> but, like, her, her thing is we serve life. And they say that a couple of times. And when, when she's talking with the uh, the uh, sort of uh, Electra zombie, uh, that's, what she, <laughs> that's what she keeps saying to her, too. It's like we serve life. And there, this idea that the way you serve life is by grasping onto it by any means necessary and avoiding death by any any possible route that you can and just kind of sucking yourself to it like a lesion or something and i just i thought that was really interesting um something really interesting to kind of think about especially especially from a a christian perspective theoretically Christians, we we serve life, right? Like we should, <laughs> that should be like that should be a slogan we could embrace. Uh, and yet, this is like a twisted version of that. Like it's not, you know, what kind of life is it that you're serving when it's just all about just kind of hugging as tightly as you can to these ephemeral experiences and and not letting anything else in. I j- I just I thought that was interesting, and I thought, you know, gosh, you could. You could see how this kind of idea is, is a crude version of something that I think exists in a lot of places in our world and in our, in our culture. It's interesting because they say they serve life, but they only serve life selfishly. Life only matters for them. It doesn't matter for anyone else. So they're taking lives all over the place, right? I mean, that's what the whole hand does is it murders people and but it murders people so that five individuals can hold on to life. Mm-hmm. Everybody else is ultimately expendable in some way, shape, or form. So there's a you know there's original sin at work, right? You know, just pure and utter selfishness under the claim and the guise that this is all about life, but it's all about life for me, not for anyone else. Mm. In, in a way, it's it's uh, in a very loose way. It's very I'm very familiar with that kind of. I was raised. In a, in a very small uh, town in the middle of Nebraska, in a, and I went. I grew up in a rural evangelical church. And the way you're pitched on the idea of God when you're a little kid is you get to live forever. You get to live forever, and you're really not given a lot of details about what that's going to be like when you're nine. It sounds terrifying. Like I'm going to live forever and do what? Like. <laughs> I'm going to have to go to church forever because I'm not on board with the idea of going to church forever. And, 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 it's, uh, and so you're like, well, I guess it sounds better than hell, but I don't know if I want to like be in but, uh, but that's what they're offering, right? They're, there's nothing about an abundant life. There's nothing about mm-hmm. a selfless life. There's nothing about uh, a living life to the full. It's just purely quantity of days that they're yeah. serving. And I think that's an idea that is very common in a lot of the modern populist iterations of religion. 
it's very existentialist, right? It's very like uh, all that exists, all that exists is whatever I can perceive with my senses, and therefore the only kind of immortality that I can long for is one where I can just keep this this cycle of sensory perception going for as long as as possible so it's like well why does she want to stay alive so i can listen to another piece of music so i can look at another painting so i can have one more kind of moment of of sensory pleasure well you know i mean not to knock any of those things because of course you know i love music and paintings and 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 pleasure as much as anybody else but how empty is that? If that's all, if that all life is, is just this series of uh, completely meaningless attempts at distraction, good grief. Who would want to do that forever and ever? Well, and, and, <laughs> and you know, it's interesting. The soul of the person, the, the heart of the person, whatever you want to call it, whatever it is to you that, uh, that enjoys these experiences and encounters something transcendent through them is actually through this process of, of uh, pseudo-resurrection is actually hollowed out more than it is enlarged. So, yeah, you get more life, but you get less soul. You know, every, every time these people come back, they're less. Whereas the teaching of Christianity and, and of our Lord in particular is that you die to live. Mm -hmm. um, the grasping of life you know, what good is it to gain the whole world and lose your soul? But unless a granted wheat falls to the grain and brown and dies, it cannot live. You know, there's this sort of um, death that, that results in life rather than life that results in death. It's sort of, uh, it's sort of backwards, isn't it? For some reason, I keep comparing it to that, uh, that really lovely, I think, I think the movie was flawed in some important ways. But the really lovely scene in Doctor Strange where the Ancient One, uh, this is a spoiler, I apologize, but the Ancient One dies and she's out there talking with Stephen Strange. Have you all seen it? Are you all familiar oh, with yeah. it? Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, we did a show on that it. Really, <laughs> she, she has that really lovely little monologue about, about the value of death and, uh, and how, it, how accepting death provides meaning to the rest of her life. That's outside of like a fully biblically informed idea of what death is but it certainly is much closer if there's a continuum to understanding that there's there's value in the idea of understanding that life is brief and fragile and the bottom that she had there i thought was a wonderful iteration of that and shows sort of a two different ways of looking at what death is and i think they're both very common outside of comic books in our society that's a really good point that the, the way that that speech works like there there are a lot of sort of hero journey stories that basically the point at which the hero actually becomes a hero is the point at which they're willing to sacrifice their lives right um and so there's this like you know you don't actually become fully alive until you're willing to lay down your life um which is which you know, is Interesting that you bring that up, Father Jonathan, because that's what you see in Daredevil's character at the end of this show, right? For his love for Elektra, he's willing to lay down his life. He's not going to leave the building. He's going to fight to get her back in some way. I wonder if they intended that contrast there I or not. I hadn't thought about but... it, but that is an interesting con. It feels a little 
it feels so on the nose that I'm surprised I missed it, and I would be surprised if they hadn't thought about it at some point. Hmm. Yeah. We talked a little bit in the last podcast about the Legends of Tomorrow and yeah. this sort of the, um, you know, the quest for this mystical object, the this spear that pierced the side of our Lord, and, and and you know here we here we have again this sort of like holy relic that people are are, are searching for, um, mm-hmm. but it, it's sort of in a magical way, isn't it? Uh, and like magic is a much different. Thing than faith or, or worship, because magic is, is an attempt to co-opt the the power of the of the spiritual uh, you know side of life. The, the co-opt the power of the spirit for one's own ends. You have the uh, apostles and acts seem to have what to an outsider would appear magic powers. I mean, they could they could heal the sick. The heck, they could raise the dead. And and Simon Magus. He wants to buy this, you know, this power from them. Oh, boy, think of all the ways I can enlarge my reputation and myself through possessing this power. But it doesn't really work that way. That's not what it's for. Life isn't for the self. Life is given to us so that we can lay it down in in service of others, in service of God, ultimately. Life is uh, a highway, and uh, I want to ride it all night long. We were all thinking it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, any, uh, any. <laughs> I, you like how how Father Matt just like made this really wonderful, uh, deep insight, and I just like completely. Oh, you kneecapped it. Yeah. Yeah, that was. Yeah, no, that, 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 that's how we roll here. I that was pretty good. That was pretty good. Um, we can't take each other too seriously. Any, anybody else you have know. any deep comments they want to make so I can tear them down too? Anybody? Not after that. <laughs> <laughs> I am. Cur- I am curious. Uh, it's it's a, a little bit of a spoiler, but I think we all knew this would come eventually. They, leave, they hinted pretty hard that the next season of Daredevil will be the Born Again storyline. Oh, yeah. Uh, which is one of the great, like, iconic yeah. runs. Not just of Daredevil, but, but of superhero comics, of Cape Comics altogether. And I'm almost nervous about it because I love the storyline so much. I hope it's good. I want it to be good. I think it could be good. The material's all right there. If you just adapt yeah. the storyline, you're good to go. They've already used elements of, of the mm-hmm. Born Again storyline in yeah. these Marvel Nets. But we've already seen Duke in Jessica Jones, right? I think they'll borrow parts of it. I mean, they've, they've already borrowed parts of it. But whether or not they'll have Karen Page become a junkie. But they've hinted at that. Like, I, even in the first season of yes. Daredevil, they were, like, talking about, oh, she's got this past, and, you know, we're, we're not going to quite reveal the whole thing of it yet and uh um yeah so I, th- she's so idealistic though it's hard to imagine her making that i mean in such a short time but i well, mean just knows? say no kids just the opioid addiction is real man i've been see, i've been reading these yeah, uh, yeah. just like you again it's it, in the east coast it's right there yeah, yeah it's really yeah. bad here yeah it's a really dark turn to take is yeah. that how you want to wrap it up um yeah and i i'm not sure i have a joke for that so 
That's what I was Maybe looking for the best. Don't do drugs, <laughs> kids. A, um, I wanted a bullet. I wanted a bulletproof anecdote just to make sure it could withstand. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll we'll uh, we'll have to have uh, Tyler on anytime we want to be depressed. That'll be good. Um, <laughs> that's my brand. That's right. Um, okay. Well. There's a lot more that we could certainly say about the Defenders, and I would love to know, and I'm sure you guys would love to know, too, uh, what everybody else uh, thought of the show. Did you like it? Did you not like it? Are you on Team Father Matt? Are you on Team Father Kyle? Tell us what you think, uh, and a great way to do that is something that I hear the kids are really into these days, uh, and it's called social media. Do you guys know about the social media? It's a thing that's happening. The young people are into it. Uh, and uh, we at God and Comics uh, are into the social media as well, at least the kind that's used by uh, old people like us. So if you want to check in with us on Facebook, we're at facebook.com slash God and Comics, or you can tweet at us. We are on Twitter at God and Comics. Tell us what you think. We'd love to connect with you there. But for now... We're going to move on to our final segment, this and every episode, and that is This or That. This or that, this or that, come on everybody, let's this or that. Batman or Iron Man, this or that. Spider-Man or Superman, this or that. Boxes or briefs, this or that. DVD or VHS, this or that. Dungeons or Dragons, this and that. Moses or Elijah, this or that. This or that, this or that, come on everybody, let's this or that. Tyler, you're you're welcome to uh, to participate in this or that if you want to. I'm not sure. I don't know that I sent you any sort of explanation of this. Um, I, I, you did not. I'm flying okay. blind here. It's called this or that, and it is pretty much exactly what it sounds like. Uh, you are presented with two options: Coke or Pepsi, and you choose. And all the points are fake. So uh, you know whatever whatever you choose is is fine. Um, although it's always possible one of us will summarily judge you for it. That's all. <laughs> that, was a, that was a roller coaster of an explanation. Yeah. Well, you know, when have nerds ever had strong feelings about things that didn't actually matter? That, that's, that's true. Yeah. Water off a duck's back. So, um, uh, who, who's got it this time? I forget. Father Matt. Uh, I do. I Father do. Matt. Uh, so, the, we'll, we'll give you the first one, Tyler. Oh, um, you can't give him the first one. We just explained it. Well, I, I sure can. Go right for the throat. All right. All right. Okay. going to be judged. All right. So, uh, Tyler. <laughs> okay. Danny Rain or that little boy from Shane. Father <laughs> <laughs> oh. Matt, you're brutal. Are they all like this? Uh, they're, they're all, they're not all necessary. They're all over the place to tell you the truth. Okay. It's entirely possible a 57 Chevy will show up at some point. Just so you do one. know, you do know Shane, right? Oh, I'm very familiar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, and I assume we're talking about the Netflix iteration the of Danny Ray. Well, I mean, you, you interpret it the way you, 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 you'd like. Oh, okay. Because, uh, Matt Fraction's Iron Fist run, I think is really wonderful. And his interpretation of Danny Rand in that I think is quite good. So if I get to choose that, then that's a, that's a no-brainer. Then we're then we're playing this game on easy. <laughs> All right. Well, that's one way around. That yeah, 
Yeah, I, I know. I, I wish the Iron Fist TV show was more like Matt Fraction's Iron Fist. That's one of my favorite Marvel runs of the past decade, probably. I just thought that was so good. And if, so if we do that, then it's definitely Iron Fist. But if we're going with Netflix show, I think I would still pick Danny Rand because that <laughs> that kid, that kid, he is he really challenges my sanctification because I don't want to hate anything, but I hate him. I, I, I confess. I confess it. One, okay, one, so one of you guys with a collar next... want to absolve him real quick before we move on to the... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I forgive you. I, I haven't seen... Uh, no, I'm <laughs> withholding absolution for that. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, come on. Well, you got it from uh, me. I, mean, You're I, good, I need to see some penance. Okay, the next one's for Father Kyle. The Archangel Raphael. Or Raphael the Ninja Turtle. <laughs> <laughs> My gut, I'm just going to go with my gut here. My gut said Raphael the Ninja Turtle. Oh, I just have to wow. go that way. Okay. He's okay. a ninja and he likes pizza. What could be better than that? Okay, I mean, I guess healing, let's hope it's uh, blindness, doesn't rain. All right. Father Kyle uh, doesn't accept that book, so. <laughs> I accept it as a good book to be read. Oh, my gosh. No, All like, right. Okay. Uh, <laughs> it's not canon. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Oh, he, here, here's a good Catholic one for you, Father. Oh, good. Okay. Richard Rohr or Father James Martin? Help me out. So I know Richard Rohr's name. I'm not sure I'm familiar with... Oh, he's from the, uh, the Center for Contemplation. He, uh, he, he, he wrote uh, a, a book called The Naked Now. He recently wrote a book about the trinity uh called the divine dance he uh he's he's sort of popular in in kind of emerging churches and emerging church oh. still a thing so basically <laughs> you're you're giving me a no-win situation is what you're telling me <laughs> well, I, I, I know i know your commitment to uh progressive theology um the enneagram, the enneagram. <laughs> uh richard Dorris is involved in the enneagram oh good good um well, let's see. I, let me. I'm trying to come up with a good Father James Martin sort of answer to this question, um, which would basically involve me uh, affirming both choices and uh, saying nothing about either one of them. So let me let me see if I can come up with that. Um, I yeah. I don't. I don't know what to do with that. I'm gonna uh, Cardinal Sarah. Ser- that's my answer. Oh, okay. There you go. <laughs> it wasn't well, one that, of the choices, very... but. That was a very non-dualistic answer. I'll make uh, I'll make the tratty you know, listeners happy. So Richard Rohr and, and James Martin. I have um, nothing against either Richard Rohr or James Martin. I'm I'm sure they are lovely gentlemen, uh, and I would uh, invite both of them over to tea if I had the opportunity. Yeah, if any of them <laughs> want to come on the podcast. That's I, true. Well, and especially uh, after what I just said, I'm sure Father Martin would just love to come and join us. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> okay, um, so the, the next one is for uh, you, Tyler. Stranger Things or True Detective? I think I'm going to go with True Detective. The second season was very bad, and the first season probably wasn't as good as people wanted it to be, but I like. I do feel like I agree with the criticism that Stranger Things leans on nostalgia, over substance sometimes and 
there was some real interest in True Detective, and I feel like the it was an unexpectedly optimistic ending, which I found very beautiful, and I really appreciate it. And it and it gave us the reconnaissance, and I and I and I'm grateful for the reconnaissance. Uh, so I'll go True Detective. All right, all right, all right. Could, well, well reasoned, <laughs> sir, Father Kyle, Count Zinzendorf, or Casper Svenkfeld. What? <laughs> <laughs> two pietists. Um, you, you, yeah, you, thank you. you. I know. You give me two pietists. <laughs> I think your answer should be Father James Martin. I think. <laughs> I think my answer is Martin Luther. Oh. Okay. <laughs> In this season of Reformation. Another another non-dualistic answer. This is a, a theme. Okay, um, Luke Cage or American composer John Cage. <laughs> or John Cage from Ally McBeal. <laughs> oh wow, that's Was that's another. It's another option. Uh, I think I'm just gonna I'm just gonna go with Luke Cage. This one's for Tyler. The Grateful Dead or Creedence Clearwater. I don't know if you're a rock fan. Oh, I am. But it's very, that one's very easy for me. CCR. Yes. CCR. That is the correct answer. Easy. I'm not a deadhead. I don't, I really don't. And it's a, I'm not there for it. But I really love Creedence. I, I really love Creedence. Father Kyle. PJ Mask or the Powerpuff Girls? Oh, PJ Mask. I actually thought PJ Masks was not a bad show for a kid's, you know, superhero cartoon show. Uh, I certainly think it's better than the Powerpuff Girls. My daughter kind of crapped out on PJ Mask after the first uh, the first handful of episodes. Now, anytime I try to bring it up to her and get her to watch it, she's like, no, nah, I don't like that. So <laughs> She burned out on it. Yeah. Well, uh, my kids really like it at the moment. <laughs> here, here, here's a, a, a highfalutin one for you, Jonathan. Pierre Teilhard de Chardin or John Polkinghorne? Oh, I, I would go with Polkinghorne. You've picked two guys who are really hard to understand. Uh <laughs> But Pokinghorn makes me kind of wonder, or uh, experience the wonder of, of, of things in science in a way that huh. Chardin doesn't. So, there you go. So I'll have one more, <laughs> and, and this is for you. This is for you, Tyler, and this is another highfalutin one, so get ready. Sausage or pepperoni? <laughs> <laughs> Sausage is more versatile. I cook with it. I use it in a. I cook. I use it in a lot of dishes. Pepperoni outside of pizza, and I do. I love pepperoni pizza, but it's it's got one use for me. I'll, I'll put sausage in anything. Totally agree. Totally agree. That you get a thousand points. Is that the where? Yeah, the I think you just won. I think you just won. Congratulations on your. On yeah, your I feel victory. bad. Just, I feel bad just storming into you guys' podcast and cleaning house. <laughs> there you go. There's no off on the genius switch. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> 
that's going to uh, wrap it up for us uh, then. Uh, t- uh, Tyler, it's been great uh, having you on the show. Is there is there anything you'd like to plug? Oh, no. I, I've, I honestly know. I've, I've really enjoyed uh, this conversation. I love talking about this stuff, and it, it's uh, not often that I get to do it in my day-to-day my day-to-day work so i appreciate you guys uh bringing me on it's really this is a really really delightful conversation great well we we loved having you and we uh we look forward to having you back at some point uh in the future oh i'd love to Um, all right everyone sit uncomfortably for a moment while i uh tell everybody at home that they can uh go to godandcomics.com and uh check out the show page there for uh, links to some of the rad stuff that we talked about today we'd love for you to do that you can also uh, subscribe to the show through iTunes. And as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, I'll mention it again at the end. We would love it if you gave our show a rating or a review. It helps other people to find it. So please do that if you have the opportunity to do so. And you all have the opportunity to do so. So do it. Uh, our theme music, which you are hopefully banging your head to right this moment, is by the one, the only, Father Paul Wheatley who dressed up like Robin Hood for Halloween this year and then spent the night stealing candy from rich kids and redistributing it to the poor, the needy, and the lactose intolerant. Until next time, I am Jonathan Michigan. I'm Father Kyle Tomlin. I'm Father Matt Strumper. And we'll see ya.